That's right. Those are the sounds of the Nantucket Whalers playing in the Island Cup a few weeks back. I uh, ventured over there, took my daughter over, and got to experience some of the uh, some of the Island School spirit in the Island Cup. I got to say, it was pretty cool to walk over there and see the huge crowd there supporting the uh, Whalers versus the arch rivals, the Vineyarders. Uh, unfortunately. Our team was not victorious, but uh, I will say it was uh, a pretty evenly matched uh, game. Unfortunately, we didn't come up victorious, but uh, it was pretty cool watching all the kids come over, getting a feel for how this whole thing works, all the taking the boat over. They get here, all the fans showed up with their face painted, and uh, it was cool. It was cool to see uh, all the, the, the whole town come out and support the, uh, the local high school football team, and it was uh, kind of reminded me of... Uh, my days back in high school playing for the Fayetteville Manlius Hornets, the Friday Night Lights. It was cool. And, uh, you know, it's just great to see the town really come out and uh, support the team. And I'm glad I uh, went down there and checked it out. Unfortunately, they did not win. But uh, there's always next year. So I thought it was cool to start uh, episode 22 with uh, some of the sounds from that football game. Hopefully it uh, brings you back or maybe not. Either way, how you doing, Nantucket? Here we go. It's holiday season. You made it through Thanksgiving, and now it's on. Stroll weekend is coming up. Are you ready? Have you started thinking about your Christmas presents? Do you know what you're going to get that special someone? I tried to do it today, but they're sold out of her size. So what do you do? You know, I made a goal. I was This Christmas, I wasn't going to be the last week before the big day shopping guy, you know, like you're just trying to get, and then you're out rushing around and you end up settling on something because you need to just get something. You can't show up empty handed. And now I got to buy for our kid too. Oh God. I tell you what, (laughs) didn't plan for that financially. Either way, it's coming. Not much you can do about it, but uh, stroll weekend is upon us. And a lot of things are, uh, exciting around this island. I can see uh, the tree lighting ceremony uh, happened. Everyone's uh, in a festive mood. Stroll weekend's coming up and uh, things are good, folks. In my world, uh, I want to give a big uh, shout out to N Magazine, who was kind enough to feature Inside the Whale, a really great, uh, fantastic spread. I can't, I can't thank them enough for the exposure. And I, I I'm really excited about what uh, what this thing is uh, that you've clicked on here on Inside the Whale. I can't uh, thank them enough. You know, it was about a year ago that I had this idea, and I just can't tell you how cool it is to see this thing that you think about and you agonize over, really, on how to make this specifically what you want it to be. And, you know, here we are, episode uh, 22, and, you know, to have that kind of press is just great. I can't thank them enough. And uh, I, I also want to take this opportunity to thank all my guests that have donated their time and energy to come over and sit down and 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 do the podcast. Because without them, it'd be nothing. And uh, I really uh, just want all the guests that uh, have come on here, I just want to give them a big thank you too to helping me bring this thing to the island. And uh, thank you, all you guys. I could not have done it without you. And it really is my mission and my passion now to make this thing as great as it can be. And it's up and it's rolling. And I'm just going to keep barreling through and just trying to bring in great guests and uh, 
really make this thing awesome. And I thank all of you that click in every week uh, and check it out to see what's going on. I can't uh, thank you enough. So I just wanted to say that. And uh, a big thanks again to N Magazine and the coverage. It was such a cool-looking spread, and I've had a lot of people reach out to me. And it just shows you how big their reach is. Uh, uh, people that I would never have thought have uh, have reached out and said how much they enjoy it. And, uh, you know, it's just been great. So thank you again, all you guys. So with that being said, I think, uh, you know, I don't want to waste too much more t- of your time. Let's get into the episode. My guest today is Fishing Captain Peter Kaiser, or Pete Kaiser, as most of you probably know him. Uh, really, let's see. What do I want to say? I guess uh, you know he's a he's a true fisherman. That was the I was struggling with how do I pin him down, but uh, he's certainly a character and a and he's just a true fisherman and cares for the ocean and is uh, you know has a career that's started in the fishing and now he's a uh, he's an advocate. I'll call him an ocean advocate, uh, and he's really doing a lot, especially for the waters around Nantucket. And I didn't know a lot about the uh, specifics of what's going on in our waters surrounding the island. Um, and he certainly filled it in. So, you know, I, I don't want to give too much away. I think it's a, it's a great episode for all of you outdoorsmen. And listen, we all live in this island. We all enjoy the ocean. So it's in your best interest to take a listen because uh, it affects all of us. Uh, whatever you do with the ocean, whether you surf it, fish it, or uh, swim in it, you know, it's an important uh it's just an important thing that we need to really pay attention to. So I'm glad that uh, Pete took the time out to sit down and we uh, can learn a bit more about what he's doing and uh, how he's making the island better. So with that said, let's do it, folks. Right, now you might win. Show us your crooked jaw. Show us your wrinkled brow. Rise. He rises! <laughs> Hey guys, real quick before we get started, I want to just apologize. Uh, you're going to about to hear the conversation with Pete and I, and uh, there's a little bit of an audio glitch in it, and I really tried to get it uh, fixed. My friend Floyd Kellogg tried to help me out, so if it doesn't sound the best, that's uh, my fault. It was an audio glitch. I had a setting on the uh, on my mixer there that was mixing it up. So I just want to apologize for that. But other than that, uh, just gonna have to do bear with it for this episode. But anyway, let's get to the conversation. First off, thank you for taking the time, Captain Pete Kaiser. Uh, you have many occupations out here. I, I grabbed him at probably one of the busiest times uh, of the year. Stroll a weekend is upon us. You have two inns. Right, and they have two guest houses, the Brant Point Inn and the Atlantic Mainstay. So needless to say, this guy is a busy guy, and I appreciate you taking your time and energy to come and sit down. And as we're speaking right now, he's got a webinar that's going on, uh, a fisheries webinar, right? Right. So, But before we get into that, I wanted to get in the, uh, how Pete Kaiser ends up on Nantucket. But before that, he's from central or western New York, Buffalo. And I'm, I'm from Syracuse. Aha. Uh-huh. And there's something funny about Nantucket that there's all these people from Syracuse, Central New York, Buffalo that end up on Nantucket. I don't know how it is. Maybe it's because it's... But 
landlocked? I don't know. So you grew up in what town? Well, first of all, I haven't grown up yet. Let's get that straight. <laughs> <laughs> I hope never to. All right. So anyway, yeah, born in Pennsylvania, Stump Creek, right near Punxsutawney Phil. Uh, about four or five years old. My father was a coal miner, all my uncles. The coal mines closed down, so they moved to northwest New York. He had a job driving truck. And that's where the family moved to. And so now there's still some family there, some nieces, nephews, grandkids, you know, theirs. And uh, anyway, went to school there, a place called North Tonawanda. Uh, after that, went to college and uh, went to a place in Boston, get a little more education, ran into a guy named Martin Seeley, who was also going to school there. Ended up, we roomed together, and I at that time had a, I had the wheels, it was a 63 Falcon convertible. <laughs> what color? A red. <coughs> and Firebird when, red. And when they found out I had wheels, Martin said, you know, you got to come. To, you gotta, we got to go to my place for the weekend. And I said, where is that? He goes, this little place, Dantucket, it's an island. He says, you like to fish? You like to hunt? Dancing? Drinking? I was like, <laughs> yes, all the above. He says, you need to come to Nantucket. So I had the wheels, and back then the boat was running out of Woods Hole. Uh-huh. So we take off, road, you know, classic road trip. Yeah, I'm fi- this looks like a scene, feels like a scene from Animal House. Oh, well, it was a little more, <laughs> a little more reserved, but, you know, there were a lot of uh, wild sides to it. Anyway, that's why I first got here. Yeah, and I always think it's interesting to me, because I'm relatively new, is like, when you first got here, what, what was it like? You know, what year is this? 72. So 1972 Nantucket is a lot different, obviously, than it is today. In the winter is a lot different. You came here in the winter? No, well, we came here in the off season. Okay. But, you know, when the summer came, I mean, it was just still, you know, the same, all the people, you know, all the action, all the vibes. So that still goes on. But, you know, wintertime was the major difference. So did you go back to college or you literally arrived here? Oh, no. No, we went back, finished up. Finished up. Finished a two-year, you know, school. What did you go to school for? Electronics. Electronics, electronics were just coming out of the tube age back then. Right, so you're doing like... So this was back, you know, quite a while ago. Is it like a solder gun in like... 42 years ago. Yeah, we were trying to, you know, read transistors and all this kind of stuff. We thought it was high tech back then. Right. So you were going to be in uh, some sort of Yeah, but so we got here, you know, and it was like, after you graduated, it's all right, Martin's like, come on, come to Nantucket, check it out. So I came here, worked as an electrician... Worked many different jobs. You know. So your first job here was an electrician? Yep. First job was an electrician, but then uh, the great thing was, you, you know, I found out you were able to catch fish and sell them you know, back you know, to the restaurants, which was awesome. So we'd go fishing you know, all night, catching bluefish stripers, selling them to the restaurants. That's and, you know, that's, cash. hey, when you're doing something you love to do, it really wasn't work. You know, right? Is that we? We had you fit, been a fisherman previously back in just in catching, just for enjoy, just for recreational, just to get fishing, something to eat you on know? the lake or, or the Erie Canal. Lake, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, creeks, Pennsylvania and stuff. What would you catch? Perch, trout, largemouth bass, perch. You know, so there was just my father. I say my father implanted the seed when I was a young guy. You know, we take off, you could skip school. I should even skip church at times. You know, he said, out in the out in fishing is as close as you can get to God as you can get. So I like that. That yeah. was a good, that that was a good, with you. Yeah, it was a good hall pass, you know. 
Got it. So your dad was driving a truck in Buffalo. Now I imagine Buffalo was a was a mob well, town. Well, North North Tonawanda. Was it a mob mob town a little no, bit? North no, North Tonawanda is a suburb. Okay. You know, right on the Erie Canal, right on gotcha. the Niagara River, mm-hmm. right between Niagara Falls and Buffalo. So we were we were like river rats. You gotcha. Know? Myself and my buddies, we'd always be fishing. And, so you're you know, always on the water, even yeah, as a just, kid. Yep. So Nantucket was a natural uh, transition. When you got here, you're, you were just like, "This is it." Yeah. Started as an electrician. So what are you? Electrician your- started doing that. Landscaper worked masonry. Worked, you know, not many jobs I haven't done. And then it was like, at one point I said, "You know what? The hell with this." Ran into Phil Osley down at the sunken ship. And we became real good buddies. Took diving lessons. I went scalloping my first year. I went dredging with Alvin Hull, who's another native Nantucketer. Is that uh, Kristen Hull's father or uh, uncle? uncle? Okay. Uncle. It's my wife's actually. Alvin is my wife's cousin. Gotcha. So <laughs> actually, that's when I first met my wife. She came to visit her cousin up in Boston. And because Alvin had also, I had an apartment. One of the guys moved out, so Martin Seeley moved in. Then another guy moved out, so then Alvin Hull moved in. So all of a sudden, all these guys from Nantucket were moving in the apartment. And then one day, my my now present wife, Thea, came to visit her cousin. And that's the first time I've ever seen her. I mean, it wasn't, that was it forever. She had a boyfriend, I had girlfriends. Girlfriends. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, yeah, so through Alvin Hull and Martin, you know, it became a natural. We'd just load up the vehicle and road trip. You remember trip. your first date? Uh, yes, I do. Sort of. <laughs> the one that I forgot about. Yeah, was it? Was but it, she gave me another chance. That's so. good. And then how many years later, you guys are still, that's, it's, uh, it's rare. That's a lot of years, you know. You know? But. So you start working as an electrician. When do you actually start the fishing? Actually started electrician. I only did that for a year, year and a half. I worked with another cousin of hers, Teddy Kalman. The Kalman family, there's a lot of Kalmans around. And so I used to work with Teddy and for this guy, Craig DeBleek. I worked for him about a year. And then all of a sudden I found myself doing some side work. You know, they say transistors weren't brain, you know, weren't brain surgery, but you got a good basic understanding of electricity. So I was working on the side, doing side jobs here and there. And then just uh, took the diving lessons from Phil. We became real good buddies. And after the first year, I went scalloping with Alvin. Um, with actually this guy Jack Gata and then Alvin and I watched these other guys with the dive gear come out jump in the water having some fun they get their scallops and go in I decided that would be a better way to go so I took lessons from Phil got certified started diving diving instructor started diving for scallops right away oh okay and did that for 30 years you know all winter where was the uh, I just I don't where was the bar? Where would you guys go to? What was the hot spot back then in 1972? Well, it was the uh, Preston's out at the airport. Preston's and the Chicken Box. Where, was it called the Chicken? Was it the uh, Chicken Box? It was the Chicken Box forever. Huh? And, and that it, was where everyone Preston's by the airport. Yeah, you know where the Nantucket Hotel is, yep. right across the street. That was a major, big yeah. fireplace, big bar, pool tables, ping pong. I mean, it was definitely one of the number one places to be. Wow. See, those are the kind of story. Like, there was also where Fairgrounds was was a jazz bar. Gene Mann told me that used to be a jazz yep. bar, right? Yep. That was uh, that was a jazz bar that changed different things. And then the uh, the Muse that used to be called the Derby. They used to have live music there. Right. 
and uh, it was a little more conservative. Where the chicken box was on, you know. Was it now? Was it like when you say conservative? Was it summary well, people? Oh no, like... no, just you know, fam, more family orientated. Gotcha. Yeah. But Preston's where it Preston's threw down. threw down the chicken box is definitely where they always threw down, you know. Wow. Yeah. See, I just it's the the history of that, you know, Nantucket back in the day, the places, and it's changed, right? The island. Well, is... the thing is, it's you know, for the better, for the worse. I mean, right now. It's great because there's a lot of things to do. You know, some people may go, oh, Nantucket's kind of boring in the winter. Well, <laughs> you should have been here 42 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it so was So you hear someone not, complain, you're like, you got nothing to complain about. There is not much going. Now, you know, you got the whole, the high school, you got all these, you know, you can take educational, you know, you can go to school at night. You got the hockey rink, which I still play hockey. I mean, I think it's awesome. Yeah, you, you know? play with a whole crew, crew of guys, right? Oh, yeah. There's, is it, there's it's different... Spruce and oh, yeah. uh, Spruce, Truce, Trip, you know, the Phil, There's the a whole Bruce, hockey crew Brooks. out there. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's awesome. You know, I think that's funny. You remind me, my, my old man is uh, 78. He plays in a seniors hockey league called the Gray Wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Two years ago, it collapsed on the ice. Oh. <laughs> with a heart. They well, thought, he's, he's around, though. Yeah. He, thank God they saved him. But uh, kind of, you know, that... That kind of energy keeps you young. You oh, know? totally, totally. So anyway, now, you know, you get the fast ferry, a one-hour boat ride. I mean, so the good thing is, there's a lot of young people that recognize. You know, you got these different, um, you know, like the culinary school, the music school, you know, these private interests, and it's a great thing because a lot of young people that have traveled, you know, around the world, they're well traveled, well educated. This isn't a bad place to be anymore. You know, yeah, see, this it's is kind of a melting pot. The way I'm seeing it for my kids, I mean, my kids both went away, and now they're back here and doing great. Yeah, know? I think that that uh, is an interesting perspective because I think there are some people think the island's gone in a different direction. It's too done up. It's too built up. But it's good to hear someone say, you know, it's actually changed. There's more opportunity. There's more stuff going on. Yeah, and you know what? Since when I first got here, the people that lived here, like the, you know, the native the old good core, they welcome to see the summer people. I mean, it was like, look, that brought, that brings you, you know, keeps your tax rate down. I mean, it's like, so what? You put the blinders on for two months, two and a half months, you know, and the places are crazy, but you just, you know, you wear your watch. And they <laughs> say, what is that? What's your watch? I said, that's called time management. You find yourself, you know, locked up in traffic down by the ferry boat. You know, you find yourself somewhere else by the high school at a certain time. You know, the first time, take note, make a note to self. And if you find yourself again, you know, you're there again, what's your fault? <laughs> you know, just change your, you know, change your lifestyle a little bit. Get up early, go late, stay where the people aren't. You know, if you want that solitude or, you know, you know downtown, you have a beer or get an ice cream and go people watching. I mean, it's hilarious. It is hilarious. I uh, agree. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it happens for two and a half months, the craziness. But again... It allows the cost of living to be affordable, you know, taxes-wise, you know, your house taxes and all this stuff. And it's a vacation island. You're living in, it's just part of the deal, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's fun, you know, and again, it, it's a good transition of people that you would normally not meet. Some good, some bad. Well, Fugawi Weekend, I think. I, I would argue Fugawi Weekend, maybe we could do without. Right. I right. have to say. Yep, I agree upon that. <laughs> well, you know what, mass media... You know, people get on the middle app and say, hey, 
action place to be is Nantucket. Yeah, clearly. Here everybody comes with their 16, 24 packs of Bud. You know, I mean, it's it's a shit show, to say the least. Absolutely. And I have to, I found myself being like, listen, if I was 20, 22 year old Doug going to Fugawi Weekend, would have thought it was the best weekend in the world. So right. I have to remember that too. Yeah, just that, you know, unfortunately now, you know, you do have the, you know, different kinds of drugs. I mean, the drinking, I mean, it's, it's a bad scene as far as young people just wanting to get out and let loose. And there's luckily there haven't been any fatalities. But. I know. And then, you know, letting loose on an island. And I understand that sentiment that's like, you know, you're letting them loose, but we live here. Yeah. You know, the yeah. guy taking a leak in the middle of the street and in the middle of the no. night, you know, like no. you just. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you take the good with the bad, right? Yep. That's it. That's well, it. So I, I, the reason I, I thought that it'd be great to have you on today was really to talk about what you're, you, you sort, you've started as a captain. You've fi- fished all types of boats. You're a fisherman by trade now. Right. Right, waterman. Waterman. You know, we do dive work, salvage work, you know, fishing, just all the different kinds of fishing, you know, commercial, you know, been up and down the coast, fish from Key West up to Nova Scotia, you know. So you have a good knowledge of what's going on with the ocean. In particular, you've become lately, most recently become an advocate for basically the waters around Nantucket. And I thought it would be important to talk a little bit about the role that you've started to take on now. Would yeah. you call yourself an advocate? or Right. Uh, I mean, what happened was I, I was here, fortunately enough, uh, Spank, my brother-in-law, Spanky. Uh, we fished together a lot. And, you know, at that time, it was unbelievable what was here. I mean, the amounts of fish, codfish, you know, catching codfish off the beach in Sconset. I mean, in the spring, you'd be two miles off the beach and, you know, just dead hauling codfish. Actually, there'd be so many of them, they'd be coming up eating what the other ones were throwing up <laughs> and, you know, free gaffing them. I mean, it was... Phenomenal how many fish were in here. And, you know, the gannets, whales, everything. So we've been watching this go downhill, 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 not really understanding exactly why, except for gear types, bigger boats, electronics. And uh, thought, well, maybe this is a natural trend. And then all of a sudden we found out that they, you know, made all these regulations to allow the big herring boats big pair trawlers and auto trawlers. These are like 150-foot-sized boats towing really small mesh gear. When I say it's mesh, the, you know, like a two-inch diamond mesh. Mm-hmm. And it literally catches everything. Well, when they allowed those boats to start fishing, what happened was one of the spots they would fish was just on the outside of the Cape Cod and down through, right down through Nantucket. Above Provincetown, all the way up to the Canadian Line, there were other regulations and restrictions put in there where those guys were not allowed to fish up there. But so now what you have as much as recently in these recent years, you got boats like pear trawlers, sets 150 footers coming out of like Rockland, Portland, Gloucester coming down the coast because that whole area out to 20, 40 miles is closed. So these boats, we'd see them coming down through, they have this thing called AIS automatic information system. And it's basically for collision avoidance. Coast Guard is requiring it. And as of next, this coming March, all boats 65 feet or larger are going to have to have that on. So it's good news, bad news. If I was a fisherman fishing that kind of boat, I really wouldn't want anybody to know where I was fishing. But when it's coming down to this, you know, we're splitting hairs now, what's good and what's bad. Where they're allowed to be, they're allowed to be. And where they're not, they're going to get busted. So anyway... Because of this AIS, these boats were coming out of Rockland, Portland, Gloucester, 
and it would come right down through the big closed area. They'd pull in right on the backside of, of uh, Provincetown, right on the three-mile line, because three miles is a delineation of state waters to federal waters. So from the beach out to three, those are state waters right around the whole United States. From three miles out to 200, that's called the EEZ. And that's, you know, there's no foreign boats that are allowed in there. 200-mile limit. Okay. So, these boats were coming out of Rockland and every place through that whole closed area that they have, 20 to 40 miles off the beach. They come right in off of Provincetown, 3 to 5 to 8 miles. And I'm saying these are 150 foot. They tow, they tow a net. Two boats will tow one net the size of a football field. And it sweeps take, up take everything. Take the football field, put it on edge, 300 feet wide by 100 feet tall. Yeah. And, by the way, they have this thing, an exemption. They're supposed to be operating in the mid-water column. Okay. Like up in the mid-water, so they don't interact with the bottom. With the bottom, I got They you. don't tear it up. They don't catch all the codfish, the haddock, the groundfish. They put in for an exemption where they could use what's called five-inch cookies. They're basically these rollers that are five inches in diameter. Mm-hmm. They put that on the leading edge of the net. The reason why those were invented originally was to allow the guys to come in and fish on mussels, you know, partially cobble bottom. And that's why that's why they invented these rollers. Right. So these mid-water boats said, well, you know, sometimes we have a mechanical problem and our nets cost a lot of money. So if we have to slow up and the net goes to the bottom, we may have, you know, a negative impact, financial negative impact. So, therefore, if we put these cookies on there, we wouldn't run into that situation. It's an insurance. Yeah. <laughs> so what they did is whoever was on the New England board, and unfortunately there's a lot of industry on that board, they voted to allow them to do it. So now they're fishing on close proximity, if not on the bottom, most of the time. Because what happens, they're in the heron fishery. And what they totally underestimated was the amount of time that the herons spend on the, in the midwater column or they spend on the bottom. Okay. So here's what happens with a heron. You see heron, river heron, blueback heron. In the daytime, as the sun starts to come up, all these herons go to the bottom. They're right along the bottom. Now, as the sun starts to set in the evening... It gets darker in the water column. All of a sudden, the heron, you can see him on a sounding machine, on a color machine. You see him coming up off the bottom. And they go into the water column. And they're up in the water column all night. And it's, you can just see it. It's wild. So that works. You know, these guys are supposed to be in the mid-water column catching these fish. Well, they can do that at night. But when the sun comes up, all this heron migrates back down to the bottom. So they found this out after, you know... Like, hey, how come we're not catching these heron? So what they did is they went and got the exemption to put these rollers on. Now they let the cables out longer. The net gets closer to the bottom. Now they're catching heron again. But along with that, the fish that are on the bottom are called demersal. And the ones that are up in the water column are called pelagics. Okay. So at nighttime, those heron are pelagic. Daytime, they're demersal. They're down there where the codfish are, the haddock are, the flounder are. So unfortunately, these guys are targeting herring, but the bycatch is astronomical. 
The amount of bycatch is phenomenal. And they're just throwing that out, right? The, yeah, the that's, called, that's basically called the regulatory discard. Regulation says that they're not allowed to keep those. So they get them and just throw, throw them back dead. All the shit goes back dead. It's, it's criminal what's really going on. And then what's even worse than that is that we found out a lot of this stuff goes according to mesh size. Mm-hmm. You know, the mesh in the net. Right, which so you if you have, a diamond size, right? Now. Right. So if you have a big enough mesh, fish will get through it. And that started 30 years ago when all of a sudden the government realized fish stocks are starting, starting to take a little hit. So they're going to make like a six and a half inch minimum size ground fish caught in. Gotcha. So the very caught end, caught end is the end of the net where all the fish end up when they haul it back. So with six and a half inch mesh, all the little ones, the juveniles, pre-spawners, could get out. All right? And that's how you end up with the sustainable fisheries. You let the little ones go till they've spawned once or twice, and then you catch them. So, that being said, everybody said, okay, these guys are in the midwater column. They're fishing a two-inch mesh. That's okay. Well, the first raw thing that goes bad is they get the exemption for the five-inch cookies. Now they're fishing on the bottom. And, and the other part of it is is that we thought they, they had a regulation of two-inch mesh for, for herring. Okay, now we're talking about herring, not groundfish, but just herring. So they're fishing a two-inch mesh. That allows them to catch the legal herring, and the little ones should be able to get through there. Well, we found out, for whatever reason, the midwater boats got an exemption. And this exemption, we just this just came out this past, I don't know, three months I found this out by just digging. That the midwater, because they're in the midwater column, they shouldn't have any interaction with the bottom, that they do not have a minimum size mesh. So these exemptions that just keep happening is, is really what you're telling, the politics of the commercial fishing business are completely corrupt. Uh, it's stacked at this point in time. And who are these people that are that are making these decisions? That, well, a lot of it, them are big, like big interests, big you know industrial sized boats. A lot of them are big boat owners, uh, fish buyers, processors. Well, now, what's the? I have a question. What's the herring used for? A lot of it's used for lobster bait from New Hampshire up through Maine. Uh, they use it for bait up and down the coast. Okay, so it's bait. And then it's there's X fish. amount. Then there's X amount that gets used for protein fish. You know, they'll, they'll, they're keeping the fish in a lot better shape now. They've got refrigerated holes, and they'll ship it overseas for protein. So it depends, uh, on, the, depends on the exchange rate, depend, you know, the international cha- exchange rate. Depends on, you know, what, what the price is of bait, you know, is lobster bait or is protein fish. So these exemptions that keep happening uh, are, are based special interest groups coming in, and they can... Basically, it's lobbyists. And they basically throw money and say, hey, listen, we need this. Yeah, they get appointed by the governors. They get put up, you know, to be on a board. And, of course, the governor, sometimes they do it out of just goodwill and, belie- you know, and good belief. Other times it's, you know, how much can you donate to the reelection campaign? It's crazy. So you see this going on. I want to bring this back to Nantucket. So okay. you see this going on, and you and so uh, we see this going on in the old days. It was phenomenal. We had every fall we'd have herring coming down this beach, 
every middle September right up until the middle of November. The rips around Nantucket were just alive, alive with mammals, alive, you know, striped bass, bluefish, I mean, you know, the tuna fish offshore. Phenomenal. Whales, I mean, you might as well go to Alaska to see something as good as this. All the gannets, hundreds, hundreds of gannets. Huh. And that went on when I first got here until we started seeing decline about eight years ago, less and less. All of a sudden, five years ago, it was like we're not seeing any more heron. Where have the heron gone? Well, come to find out, that's when all these big boats are doing the middle. They're, they're starting to fish on the outside of the Cape. They're coming down there. All the heron that's coming from the Canadian border all the way down to Provincetown, where they have this closed 20 to 40 mile protected area. Those boats are coming in there, lining up and intercepting that bait flow that would normally come down to Nantucket, you know, Cape and the Islands. So we started seeing it going south. Five years ago, it was like, God, it's just like no bait. So what happened was, coincidentally, we found out that the big boats went over their quota in that area by 50%. They went 50% over their designated quota, and it was all taken right on the back of the Cape. Gotcha. So it was like, how could this happen? So when did you start getting, when did you, what was your so first we, move? So we saw that, and that was all of a sudden this historic fishery that used to happen. I mean, boats would come from the Cape. They'd come from everywhere to fish on the southeast corner of Nantucket. It was gone. And then we found out that was why, because all these big boats were in there. Two years ago, they went 60% over the quota. It's, it's criminal what was going on. Huh. So we watched that, and all of a sudden... In the last four years, we also noticed in the spring that the uh, squid were starting to slow up a little bit. We weren't seeing as many squid. We thought, ah, oh, it might be just a cycle. And all of a sudden, we noticed that all of a sudden the presence of more and more of these draggers. Yeah, I on, saw them this summer. Off Natiket, <laughs> off, off right Surfside, Surf off Natiket. I counted uh, 15 boats. The average average was 20 to 40 boats for two months, two and a half months. So it really did become like the Wild West out there. So here's the bad. Here's the real bad thing. So we, at first we didn't, rec- we didn't realize this. We didn't, just didn't put it together. But we noticed that the squid were getting a little bit less, a little bit less. Started in 2011. And as the years progressed, we saw very little, very little, excuse me, squid in the sound and also we started seeing very little recruitments now these squid believe it or not they only live to be one year old this is something we found out just this past year so the squid come into nantucket sound in surrounding waters near coastal and they spawn they leave these squid socks mm-hmm. now when those things spawn when they come to life all of a sudden, you'll start seeing, we call them squidos. They're about the size of a quarter, half dollar. And everything is eating them. You know, scup, sea bass, bluefish, stripers. Gotcha. It's Everything's part of the eating chain. Part of the food chain. Gotcha. Essential part of the food chain. That happens in like end of July and August. So next thing you know, we're seeing very little squidos. We weren't the people in the, in the harbor at nighttime weren't seeing as many. So in 2014... I went 
I was walking with one of the buddies that uh, we do some dive work for. Again, mm-hmm. we do the dive work. We get the nets out of the propellers. We retrieve nets, stuff like that, from the draggers. And this one guy, I asked him, I said, what? all those boats that are out on that three-mile line out there, that's all federal. Those are all federal boats, right? And he looked at me. I said, you're not familiar with the new regulation they passed, are you? I said, no, uh, nobody is. Why? What, what's that all about? Well, I looked into it, and that's when it all broke loose. Hmm. What happened was, since 2011, we found out that a couple boats in the vineyard, well, let me back up one, let me back up just one little bit. Back in the early 1990s, 1991-92, the DMF had decided that the squid, they knew the squid were coming into Nantucket, you know, Nantucket Sound to spawn in the near coastal waters. So they said, well, we got these draggers that are squidding, you know, they're small boats, 50-footers, 40-footers. We'll let them fish for squid from April 23rd to June 9th. But after June 9th, we're going to kick everybody out of state waters because we have to have X amount of these squid spawn and carry out this whole food chain. And that was the rule for since the early 1990s up until June 11th. June 9th comes, all boats, all small mesh out of Cape Cod and the islands. What happened was a couple boats in the vineyard went on the three-mile line just west of Nantucket, and they were fishing over there, and they were catching a, you know, enough squid to make a day's pay because the price of squid had come up. So all of a sudden, the word got out, probably through the fish buyers. They said, all of a sudden, some big federal boats started showing up. The federal boats are bigger than 72 feet. Right. They started showing up, and all of a sudden, they were catching them. But at nighttime, these squid boats were coming across the line inshore of three miles. Totally breaking the laws. Totally breaking the laws. None of us, we were just unaware of it. Did you go out and did anyone go out and take pictures? And- At that point, we, did, we had no idea what was going on. Hmm. Nobody did. So, anyway, what happened was these couple of boats went to the DMF and said, we'd like a thing called a letter of authorization. And what that allowed them to do was, it was like for an experimental fishery. And what they said is, look, we want the same opportunity as these federal boats have because they're fishing inside of three miles in shallower water, where our nets fish more efficiently, we want to be able to do that without chance. Otherwise, if we get busted, we may lose our state license. So we want this exemption letter. We want this LOA, letter of authorization, to allow us to go in there and fish inside like these federal boats are. That's where it all went wrong. Because DMF, at that point in time, should have said, okay, Thanks for the tip. We're going to send, you know, the EPOs, the Environmental Police. We should send them in to bust these federal boats. Now, they, when they, they didn't do that. Did they come in? Are they actual police boats that will go out there? And oh, yeah. Coast Guard, and, Coast Guard and, and the Environmental Police boats. Okay. But the state didn't do that. Why didn't the state do that? Nobody knows. They thought. Well, you know why. They thought. Someone's. Whatever. I don't know. I'm not going to say. <laughs> But anyway, what happened was that's where it all started to go down this slippery slope. The federal boats got in there, especially at night. Everybody, my hat was off to them. They were very smooth, very 
coordinated. So the, nobody, the mischief in you is they like these said, guys are... <laughs> nobody, they all said, nobody goes inside of three miles in the daytime. Gotcha. Because if they do, people are going to start asking questions and they're going to know what we're up to. So they, even though they had permission to, they would stay outside of three until night. Until night and then go in. And then go in. So then... That was the first year. You should have got Greenpeace on their ass. Get the dinghies out there. Get the throwing uh, balloons, water balloons, and unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, we knew nothing about this. All the fishermen, the selectmen, the you know, uh, Tim Madden. I mean, even the representatives, the vineyard and Nantucket. Maybe one percent of the vineyard knew about it. So, what happens is the first year they gave out two LOAs, and a handful of federal boats were in there. The next year, they gave what out does like LOA stand for? letter of authorization. Letter of, okay. To basically to That's the give it gotcha. basically to give an exemption to a regulation. Okay. Okay. God, it's amazing how political this thing is. Oh, though. I I had no it's idea so I would crazy. ever be involved with this ever, ever. Anyway, <laughs> the second year they gave out six to eight LOAs, and the presence of larger boats was showing up third year it went up to like 15 to 18 LOAs finally going into 2014 they get the word that these guys are going to be coming in for like 20 to 25 LOAs and they got the state said well instead of getting out there's too much paperwork we're going to do an amendment to the original regulation which is going to allow anybody that has what's called a cap coastal access permit to come in and fish in state in- waters all the way through the whole summer from the Navy base in Nantucket to Menemsha, which is the western side of the vineyard. They ended up, they had a public hearing, which was in Bourne in the middle of March. And, then, and as I said to the director, let me guess, it wasn't very well attended. He says, no, it wasn't. I said, where was the notification in the paper? There wasn't. Oh, there was a little one-by-one-inch notification in Cape Cod Times in, like, February. So, therefore, nobody showed up to speak in, you know. On behalf of. On behalf uh, of, you know, the residents of Nantucket, the Vineyard, the Cape. Cape. Just in general. So, what happens, they pass this regulation. That allowed access for up to 100 draggers to be able to come in and fish from the Navy base to Venemsha. And that's what we were seeing this summer. From the beach, from the beach out to three miles. That was in 2014. And it was a shit show. And we saw, that was the year that I, 2014 is the year that I confronted my friend and said, what's going on? There's no squid. We're not seeing any squid. And then he said, you better check into it. So we found out about this exemption that the state passed it allowed not only boats that had a cap remember a cap is a coastal access right. permit for massachusetts but they also massachusetts has got to straighten out is the fact that they allow a lot of out-of-state boats to come and fish in state waters yeah, I just, it's, it sounds it's, to me like there just needs to be a, 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 to, an overhaul and, and, right. a, and regulation in policing, like actually having more. Well, again, what I just told you before is that this AIS, AIS is that automatic information system. Mm-hmm. That comes into play 
this March. So any boats over 65 feet are going to need to have that on. And you can go right on a computer. And then watch where the you boats are going. You can go right, so right on a computer, a thing called Vessel Finder, and you can see all the ferry boats. You can see everything. And as of March, you know, sometime in March, you'll be able to see any commercial boats over 65 feet. So, that being said, after, you know, in the disbelief that this had actually happened, and, you know, we notified, you know, all the guys that fish on Nantucket, you know, charter. Well, fishing's a huge industry on Nantucket. Yeah, it's not as big as it used to be, but it's definitely. People, if, if they can make as much money as they used to, there's a lot of great mariners on Nantucket. Yeah. I mean, it's like in the, you breathe it in the air, like scallop season in the wintertime, you know. I mean, there's a lot of fishermen. So we made everybody aware of this. We got the word out on the vineyard, on the Cape, and now we all started calling DMF and saying, what, how could this have happened? And what was their response? They had no idea, too. They were like, how the hell did this happen? So what happened was, what happened was, when we found out about this, I I was just wild. Because, you know, I'd seen it when it was at its best. You know, I just happened to be in a good situation where I, you know, met Martin, Alvin, I got here, Woody, Garvin, I mean, all the old guys, and all the guys from the old times, they took me in, like, you know, adopted, you know, part of the gang. Birds of a feather flock together. These are and the old fishermen? Old guys. Who are I, these guys? Just, you know, Jack Dooley, I mean, just all these guys. Uh, so anyway, I seen it, I was fortunate enough to see it, and now I've seen it going away, and I... Watching the squid fishery go away, there's, you know, the presence of squid, which are forage food, the same as herring. Right. And if you don't have forage, you're not going to have the predator fish. Yep. You're not going to have the fish come in and eat them. So in witnessing this, it reminded me of what happened with the herring not too long ago on the east side. We watched that go away. And now this is the same thing. And I just, I was just pissed off. I said, I'm not going to let this happen. I can't. It's just, you know, the kids, because, you know, my daughter, Katie, and my son, PJ, they and all their friends, when they were little, I used to take them out. And it was awesome. You know, just no problem catching fish. They were everywhere. The bait, the whale, just, it was just a great thing to be able to witness. And I just feel like I owe it. I owe it that, you know, it was good to me, so I want to make this thing, you know, continue. So, so that the kids, the young people can also, you know, enjoy that. So that was kind of a mission in my mind. I said, I was fortunate enough to see it. Now my kids and all their friends that I took fishing are coming to me saying, what do we do? What's going on? Can't we stop them? So, and then, you know, you got a lot of other people, you know, in the charter businesses, uh, in the, you know, commercial businesses, you know, uh, striped bass fishing and stuff. So everybody got together. I was a, you know, everybody. You organized this though, right? Uh, or just, you worked with other I, I sort of, Kick the hornet's nest. Gotcha. I kicked the hornet's nest. Everybody got equally concerned and seeing exactly what we, you know, talking about. We watched the herring go away. And if we don't do something, all this squid's going to go away. And this place will be sterile. So everybody got on the bandwagon. We contacted Tim Madden, Dan Wolf's office. Tim was a great, you know, advocate for this. And he pushed it hard. Uh, all the selectmen, you know. It takes a. I mean, it, yeah, it was a, wild. There's a movement. Do you have lawyers involved? Are there? Uh... Um, not really. And the reason. Well, I mean, I was I... last a couple of years ago. I was fortunate enough to go up through, to deliver an airplane. I also fly. I'm a pilot. I used to spot fish, but 
I was fortunate enough to run into a lady up in Sitka, Alaska, that was responsible for making some, you know, earth-shattering changes to the regulations up there. Right. And I listened, I listened to her, talked to her, and I still talk to her now and then. So she gave me a little guidance on how we had to do this. So therefore, we set it, and you know, we set the thing in action. The selectmen again, they were great. They wrote letters. Uh, Tim Madden. We got a hold of, you know, there was Keating's office, Dan Wolf's office. And so everybody was starting to weigh in on this. Right. And then looking around and listening to her, she said, you got to get the young people involved. So all of a sudden, the word got out. Everybody, you know, like yourself. Like say, if you wanted to take your kid and go to the beach, you know, what a great thing. Catch a fish off the beach, sit there and grill it on, grill it right there. Watch right, the sun. yeah, yeah. That's it's what, not going to happen. That's why people are here. And all the young people are saying, what the hell's going on? We can't, you know, there's no fish anymore. Well, see, that's the thing. Like anything, with what, like even <clears throat> until it's a problem, until it's right in their face, right? People don't want to. Well, they're just unaware of it, and it doesn't seem like it's you know a necessary thing to do. We're going to fight other issues. So anyway, it was great because I took off when I found out about this whole thing. I went right up to uh, there was a, a state commission, fisheries commission meeting. And I knew like three of the commissioners, and it wasn't on the agenda, but I went up there and we demanded actually a thing called emergency action. We were demanding emergency action. The town was to have to these. close this thing up, close this squid fishery, push them outside of three miles, which the original regulation stated. Right. Push them out of there until we can have a public hearing on Nantucket and the vineyard and the Cape to let everybody weigh in on this situation, because. The way they got it passed through, it was it was as slippery as you could. I mean, it sounds slippery pretty as, slimy. <laughs> slippery as grease deal shit, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's uh... so anyway. I went right up there, demanded that, and all of a sudden they were like, "Whoa, what's going on?" I guess. Uh, so you're a whistleblower, basically. And then, how does it feel to be a whistleblower? Well, you know, as long as we're starting to see the results already. Well, there you go. A little bit of the results, and again. I, you know, did you get any backlash from yourself? Did you have anyone come after you and say, "Hey, you uh, know"? Just I had guys that in the fisheries were said, "Hey, come on, you know, we're just making a living." I said, "Look, I used to love commercial fishing. I commercial fish for thirty years. I still commercial fish some, but there's a point in time when you start doing more damage than good. The collateral damage of those of that gear type, right? You know, is bad." And I got out of it. I, when I started, when I said, look, I'm going to have to start either taking small fish, take spawning fish. I said, no, I'm out. I'll just, I, you know, so now I do the charter you stuff. Do char when did you switch to chartering? Have you always done it, charters? No, it started in 1990, or no, 2007. What's the name of your boat? The Althea K? The Althea K. Where's the name come from? My wife's grandmother was Althea. Yeah. So. And you love the dead song. Althea. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So anyway, back to this whole thing. Again, it was a great, it was a great thing where people got excited. All the, you know, the fishermen, recreational and commercial, the ones that had fished in shore, the general public, the kids, they started recognizing, holy shit, if we don't do something, we're going to lose it all. So DMF said, oh, we're going to have one meeting. It was um, the day after Labor Day, and that was in 2014. All of a sudden, it was a Thursday, and, and they say, if there's enough interest, then we'll maybe have another meeting. So we rallied together, and there were like about 35 people showed up. 
10 o'clock in the morning on Thursday, which is considerable. If you've ever been to the fisheries meetings, you'd say, wow. So anyway, they walked out of here, and I happened to know a couple guys on the commission, and the word was, well, we're not going back there. Well, they said, right, we'll work on it. We'll collect data. We'll work on it. Well, that was October, November. It's like, hey, this is going to be a delay game. Just give them lip service. Yes, yes, yes. We're not going back there. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, all, you know, group of people, Dantucket, you know, all the guys that are concerned and girls and women started calling the selectmen. They started calling Tim Madden's office and said, look, we demand that they have this meeting. So they came back, I think it was January 15th. Dead, you know, it's dead of winter. Right. Like just shit. Who the hell's going to show up at a meeting, right? Well, we that, that was the date. It was going to be January 15th. They went out. We did a... Uh, Oh, what is it called? The online, you know, online petition. Gotcha. We threw that together like one week before, just because it. They, that's how they stopped the CVS from coming in downtown. That thing had like four thousand signatures in a week. Uh, put a thing in the paper, and next thing you know, DMF comes over to this meeting. Is at the police department, and there was 120 people with standing room only. And they could not believe. They said, they still comment on it. Wow. They're like, what are all these people doing? I said, this is, this is how many people are really concerned about the status of these fisheries in this law that got passed. So because of that, the great outcry from the public, the general public, they did make it happen. I mean, without the general public being there, they would have given us lip service. But because of that, they went back. The state commission... We came to a vote from them, and I think it was uh, seven to three, and they wow. rescinded. They rescinded that amendment. That must have been a huge. That's a huge victory. First time it ever happened. I uh, mean, I know guys. I, I know guys that. that you know that fought against you know the DMF at that point in time with the same players. They said you wasted your time. It's never going to happen. It happened. It happened. So now, the fact is, is. That regulation's in place. The boats are supposed to stay outside of three miles. So many federal boats have got no other, nowhere else to go because of the demise of the, you know, the crashing of the codfish fishery, the haddock fishery. They say it's in good shape, but it's not in great shape. So anyway, there's a lot of fishermen out there looking for something to do. And guess what? The word got out about the squid fishery out here. Mm -hmm. So here they come. And they were hearing about the guys that were fishing at night. No, there's no regular, nobody patrolling it. So here they come. And the word's out. And they're, they're hungry. So this year, this past year, probably on the average of 20 to 40 boats for two months hammering on that three-mile line. Just crushing that. It's the weird. problem is, we, uh, unbeknownst to us, that these fish, these squid, these Laligo long-fin squid, they only live to be one year old. So, one of the primary spawning grounds for these squid for these squid are the near coastal waters around Nantucket and inside Nantucket Sound. So, all around the coast, you know, east coast, Gulf Coast, west coast, they have spawning closures, and that's to protect the spawning whatever codfish, squid, striped bass. So, can, there's spawning closures. Can we so, get a spawning closure. 
that's where we're headed right now. Okay. Because what happened was we started saying, look, you guys are ambushing these things on the way into this boning grounds. The, you know, the historic corridor coming in. They're all balled up. They're very vulnerable. A lot of places will have a cl- not only on the spawning area, but the spawning corridor, the migratory corridor. So that is a huge concern because they, they're already starting to see it because they've caught so many in the last two or three years that now those are the very ones when they come in to spawn and those little juveniles spawn, they come out, they run the gauntlet, go out to the canyons in the winter, they grow up. They're coming back through to spawn again. Hmm. If you cut off that chain of life cycle, the handwriting's on the wall. So are the, is this what the meetings that you've been going to? Is this what you're up? Uh, I was at the meeting in uh, Portland two days ago and during the public comment period. And I, I stood up and I mentioned the fact that the heron boats, number one, these big boats that are you know, still hammering on these heron out to the east, that they should be at a minimum of 30 miles offshore. And again, from Canada all the way down to P-Town, they presently have a 10-month closed area, 20 to 40 miles. So they have now joined in with us because I I used to be on a couple of boards up there when I was tuna fishing a lot. So I knew a lot of the players. So you know a lot of these guys, Yeah, from the old, I've been up, I fished, you know, again, the whole, from the Canadian coast down. Does that put you in a more uh, precarious position because you're kind of threatening these guys that you know any of these guys that are oh i know i know a bunch of the you know some of the commercial guys and the, the big boat guys yeah. i do but you know what so you know what i mean like I, that would put you in kind of a weird position yeah right? but because i'm over that i don't care because just to... i just want the young people and i want it to be sustainable it's a great thing yeah and in fact because a couple of things that are coincidental not coincidental is that that area from the canadian border down to Provincetown, it's an area called 1A, where they have 20 to 40 miles of protection for uh-huh. 10 months a year. The river herring, you're familiar with the river herring, the alewives, those are the ones I that come. I know very little about fish. Those are the ones that come into the ponds. They used to come in through Mattaquit, into the ditch. I mean, they'd be okay. all over the place. When I first got here, and I, I tell this story, I told the other day at, the, at this council meeting. When I first got here 42 years ago, in the spring, I think I was there with Martin and like Woody and uh, Garb, I don't know, some of the guys. I said, well, we're going to go bass fishing. It's May. I said, well, what are we going to use for bait? I said, you'll see. Southwest wind blowing about 20. The spawning alewives, river herring, uh-huh. were all over the beach. They're washing up all over the beach. So what you do is you just grab one, put it on a hook, throw it out there. <laughs> Reddit Hummock Pond. Reddit Hummock Pond. And if you caught a fish, if you caught a bass, fine. If not, you gathered up a half, four, five, six heron, and you open them up, take the roe, and you fry up the roe for dinner. There you go. That's how many river herring were here. So now what's happened, over the past years, the river herring have been being caught as bycatch by these big sea heron boats, the big ones I tell you about, the pear trawlers, by the squid boats, they're just bycatch, and they're catching a lot of them because the, they, they totally underestimate the commingling that these forage food and predator fish have. So at this point in time, the river herring from Massachusetts down to Florida 
Right. There's what's called a no possession rule, which means you can't take a kid and go to the creek and catch one. No possession. Massachusetts to Florida. You know what the, uh, the regulations are for the fishing down through this area? Three miles. <laughs> when you go right. from Provincetown, right? Right. Up to the Canadian border, they have 20 to 40 miles of protection. The, the river herring up there are so thick, they have a fisheries management plan in place. Is that obvious? Yeah, so, <laughs> so, that being said, a lot of this is coming to light now. We're putting a lot of, you Well, know, it seems like you're the guy that's been going out there and, and bringing it to light. Well, well, you and some other people. Right, and, you know, with the cooperation of, like, again, the select bin, um, the political people, and everybody, they just need to be made aware of it. Well, and that's now why that I they're... wanted to have you on this right. podcast because I think it's important. I think what you're doing is important. I think mm. keeping this area sustainable is the word you use. Sustainable. That's what it's all about. You know, and, and clearly seeing such a shift in, in the water around Nantucket was enough to... The life. Yeah. About the, you know, the amount of wildlife, you know, the amount of whales. I mean, we saw more whales this fall because what happened, which was unprecedented over the years is that these big boats last spring were coming in right in your face off of Provincetown and they set up there and people from the Cape here, we all got outraged, started calling NIMS and DMF and saying, you know, basically WTF. Right. How can this be going on? We demand, you know, to push these boats out. So they got the word. And they sort of voluntarily went offshore, these big boats, said, all right, we're making too much. We're in their face. We better get out of here. We're back off. So they went out there, and they fished offshore around the Georges Bank area in the channel. Well, that's another area. That's called Area 3. Mm-hmm. What also is out there is a lot of haddock. A lot of haddock have been on the comeback. They've had some good spawning years. They've seen a lot of juveniles, 6, 8-inch, 10-inch haddock. The problem is that these big boats, again, Nets remember are, what remember what happens in the daytime. The herring go to the bottom, uh-huh. so they let the cables out. The nets go to, down to near, co- near, near proximity to the bottom, if not on the bottom. They started showing up with a lot of bycatch of haddock. And so they're a, sweeping up all the haddock. And there's a thing called a haddock cap catch that they're allowed to have so many haddock as bycatch. After you surpass that, that number, that amount, you're closed down. But there's no one to enforce it. Well, there are, <laughs> right? there yeah. are, there's a thing called an observer program. There's not a lot of them. But what they did, again, they never did this before. They, they said, okay, we'll put a guy out on this boat. He witnessed, say, 10,000 pounds. Then he looked around, there's five other boats out there. I said, okay, so say 1,000 pounds. Right. So, okay, we have 1,000 pounds in this boat. There's four other boats. We're going to write down the bycatch this day is 5,000. So they, they, Now they started extrapolating across the other boats. So what they did is they said, okay, guess what? You guys have met your catch cap of haddock bycatch. So they closed the area down, right? Right. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe the government did this. It's like, hey, this is what it's supposed to be. So what happened was they started to come back inshore. What happened was the government came out with another map that said, this is the map of the Haddock Accountability Area. 
So otherwise, in the areas where they catch haddock, well, that area goes from Nantucket down to the southeast, out to 200 miles, to the 200-mile limit. Then it runs right up the shoreline of Nantucket, the whole backside of the Cape, 12 miles north of P-Town, and then runs straight east out to the so Hague Line. you're talking a It shut that whole area down. And that's the area that those boats used to come in. Remember I said they come from Rockland, from Gloucester right. Port? They come right into the backside of the Cape. That's going to be closed. It's closed now. They closed it about a month ago. And it's going to be closed until May 1st of next year. Okay. So, that being said, this fall, all of a sudden, without these big boats in there catching all the bait, we started seeing the resurgence of gannets pounding the water. Bass fishing up yeah, until the, up the until starts coming back. November fourth. Why? Because oh, there's a look at all this bait in here. So the gannets were beating the water. The fish were like biting whales. We started seeing a lot of whales inside. People on the beach right now have been seeing you know humpbacks, minke whales. So if they can keep this, I mean that's testimony right there, and it wasn't coincidence. Right. But these guys stayed out of there, and all of a sudden we're already seeing the resurgence of this. I think that uh, what's amazing to me, based on what I've just been hearing, is the amount of mismanagement and mis, uh, just the, the politics in the fishing industry. Well, let's put it that, let me put it this way. It's, I've learned, I, I never was involved, actually I was back in the tuna days. I was on a, I was on a board of directors for, um, the, for the Bluefin Tuna, because we were doing a lot of, making a lot of money. It was, you know, it was a great thing, but we wanted to see it sustainable. So we, we used to go down to Washington, go there, go to these meetings. So I got my feet wet back then. Right. So now coming back in is like witnessing where the problems are. And so I will give them the benefit by saying that the unintentional mismanagement of the state and the federal government on these fisheries is what it's led up to. So, and again, I tell them, look, I know where, where it was and where it's gotten to at this point and how it happened, but that's in the past. What I'm concerned about now, and we all should, is how to get it from where it is now, futuristically, back up to where it should be to, so it could be a sustainable fisheries and sustainable for the, you know, the mammals and everything. So, well, I mean, you're, you're doing it, you know, and I think well, that's, again, that's, I, congrats, just, I think you're really, you're working hard. I mean, it, it is a complex issue. That's the other thing I wanted to say is how, how, all these things are interconnected and all the, it's. If you don't, let's put it this way. The old saying, if you don't know the language, you can't read the story. Gotcha. And what happens is, you know, unfortunately for myself, you know, being from the diving part, being involved in a lot of different fisheries, commercial and recreational, being a pilot. It I can, I can, when I can sniff out when somebody's trying to bullshit somebody. <laughs> I can sniff it out and I have no problem. Calling BS. Yeah. And uh, it happened at another meeting. There's a big, we have a big influx right now of sea clamors coming up from Cape May. The big hydraulic sea clamors, some of them are 100 plus feet in size. See, okay. And what they do is they basically tear up the whole bottom. They have a dredge that's about 12 feet by probably. And eight. they're coming up from Cape May? Yeah. They've huh. already repositioned themselves up in this area. They tow that dredge across the bottom. And they basically blow a six to eight inch trench in the bottom. In the bottom of it. 
everything that's in that bottom, the whole Destroyed. what's called the benthic community, which is the top six inches of the bottom, that's where all the you know your worms, your crabs, all this stuff lives. They go through those dredges, six to eight inch trench is totally emulsified, blown out. Never go through muscle beds, stuff like that. And they have now got they've made a big presence here. So we actually have a couple of things that came up at this meeting. I talked with the regional director, John Bullard, and uh, he's going to come out with a, it's got to go in front of him, final. And he said, eh, that's coming up. We'll see what happens. So anyway, I think he may not give, they were looking for an exemption. Of course. Well, <laughs> of here's, course. so here's a good thing that's happening. Here's a good thing that's happening. This spring, all there's eight councils around the United States, eight fisheries councils. New England is the last one to come into compliance with protecting a lot of their habitat and bottom. Mm-hmm. We had like the last ones because we have so many draggers, we have sea clamors, we have the sea scholars. So they're having to come up with new areas. So fortunately, this spring, they came up with an area that is designed to be, it starts five miles just east of Nantucket and just east of, um, of uh, Monomoy. The area runs out 20 miles past that. So it's 25 miles offshore into the shipping lanes. And it goes north and south about 40 miles. So it's a big, basically like a rectangle. Right. And that rectangle has been labeled as a, man, as a habitat management area. Remember that. There'll be a test at the end of this. So <laughs> habitat management. A habitat management area. And what that means, there'll be no interaction with the bottom. So otherwise, there's going to be no draggers. There's going to be no sea scallopers. And there's not to be any hydraulic dredging, sea clamming. None. Period. Zip. That's a huge 20 miles, you know, east and west, but probably 40 miles north and south. Habitat management area. So what happened was the sea clambers went in for an exemption. Before the ink was even, before the ink was dry, the sea clambers and the lobbyists went in. They won an exemption. And I went to battle with those guys big time because they started is telling. It, this was in la- last year? or This is this past, this past spring, spring. And then there was a big meeting about two meetings ago. And I had some of these guys from down there coming up to me saying, look, son, you don't understand. I said, look, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree, pal. I mean, I dove. We've recovered nets. We've recovered dredges. I filmed that bottom out there. So you caught some I know. Work. I know. You don't try to bullshit me on this. Yeah. And they backed right off. So right now, that's a major thing that's happening because these guys are, they're tearing it up out here, out in this area that, again, where all the bait comes through, the muscle beds. So, you know, I, I, if there wasn't someone like you, I think that, uh, you know, there's an old saying, squeaky wheel gets the oil. And I feel like uh, oh, yeah. you're Nantucket's uh, squeaky wheel for our waters here, Pete. Well, you know what? You know, there's a lot. Of, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, like uh, there's different people on different boards and everybody wants to make this place a happy, sustainable place to be. And mostly for the kids like you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, it's, so it's I just fortunately, I feel like I, I understand the language. I've had the experience there and I want to see it get better. So I'm taking the time and I'm 
hopefully it's going to change. Well, hopefully, you know, people listening will understand a little more in depth about exactly what you're doing. That's why I thought it was important to have you on because you could talk in depth and have, instead of just having a small article, we could actually get into the nuts and bolts of what yeah. actually is going on. And I think you've done it. You know, I, I, I got to thank you for taking the time to sit down and, uh, I know you're a busy guy with Stroll coming up. Well, I'm, I'm the Mr. Fix-It right now. You yeah, know? Well. <laughs> I'm Mr. Fix-It. I, you know, like I say, unfortunately, unfortunately, be, having, owning a boat, you learn how to do a lot of different things, from electrical to plumbing to painting to woodwork. You got it. Well, you so, got a great family. You got it. Your daughter should be your, your PR agent because she's, uh, oh, she's she's amazing. She's man. a great photographer. Yeah, you know? I know. You got a great family, and it's a pleasure to so. have you sit down. I'm going to have to All right. a picture. Thanks, um, Pete. All right. Anything else you want to say? Well, there'll be. Keep your eyes on. There'll be probably another petition coming up, an online petition, and then there's going to be a new, at least one meeting coming up this winter. So they'll be in the paper. There'll be notify, you know, notices in the paper or online. So if everybody can call, write letters, because that makes a that's, voice. That makes it makes it happen. Good. Well, that's good, and I'll I'll update people as as I hear too. All right. On the podcast. Cool. All right. All right well, thanks for having me on. Great. All right, there you have it, folks. Pete Kaiser, keeping the waters in check around Nantucket. Uh, boy, it was definitely a uh, an eye opener about all the the politics and uh, everything surrounding that uh, the issue there of all those boats out there dragging, basically just wiping the oceans clean of everything. But uh, you know, listen, someone's got to be the whistleblower on this stuff, and Pete's the guy. You know, he clearly has the passion and the drive to do it, and uh, he's committed to it. So he's going to make sure that there's stuff to fish for generations to come, and that's important. And that's why I wanted to have him on again. I apologize for the sound, folks. Uh, had a little bit of an audio glitch there. Uh, hopefully, it wasn't too bad. You're able to listen and take what you could from it. Anyway, that being said, enjoy Stroll Weekend, and uh, we're going to have episode uh, 23 coming up. So uh, thanks for the click, guys. Enjoy Stroll Weekend, and uh, we'll check in with you soon.